First Kings chapter 22 this evening, the 22nd chapter of the first book of Kings. Critical influences. Three men stand out in this chapter, each one influenced in a critical way. Ahab the king, we've been talking about this monster. Of course, he's influenced by evil, by hell. He likes it that way. Then there's King Jehoshaphat, a good king, but given to folly, influenced by apparently impetuous ideas, thoughts, responses. And, you know, if Jehoshaphat were a pastor, would I want to go to his church? As much as I like him, I don't know. As we go through it, maybe you'll, you'll see it. And, and have to ask yourself the same question. Then there's Micaiah, the prophet. And of course, he's influenced by the Lord, swims against the stream, if that's what it calls for, and is uh, an outstanding character. And I don't mean to take away from King Jehoshaphat. Again, to be a king in Judah at, at that time and to be so righteous is really an accomplishment. We look at the first verse, chapter 22, verse 1. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Well, this is connected to chapter 20. And the whole episode with Naboth happened within these three years, it it seems like. This peace that it speaks of here resulted from a treaty between Ahab and Ben-Hadad, the Syrian king. Of course... Ben-Hadad comes into the land, Ahab goes to war with him twice, defeats him twice. The second time, he's got him cornered, he spares his life. He brings him up into the chariot with him. And Ben-Hadad, the Syrian king, says, I'm going to return the land that my father took that belonged to the Jews. I'm going to give that land back. Well, during this three-year period of peace, he did not give it back. And therefore, that created an uneasy peace because it grated on Ahab. It bugged him. Where's the land? This is the treaty. If he doesn't keep his word on this, what else will he break his word with? And this is becoming even more serious because Syria is becoming a larger and larger threat, militarily speaking. And that would include uh, or draw concern to the trade routes. The economics and the military uh, have much to do with this. He could not forcibly retake the land. He wasn't that strong. He could defend, but taking, invading is another story. Now, Jehoshaphat... The Judean king is going to visit him, the Ahab in the north. And that is going to give Ben uh, Ahab opportunity to sweet-talk Jehoshaphat. And so let's un- open it up, verse 2. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. Now, let's just a little background on King Jehoshaphat. From 2 Chronicles chapter 17. Now Yahweh was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. That would be the northern kingdom he's referring to Israel. Therefore, 
Yahweh established the kingdom in his hand, and his heart took delight in the ways of Yahweh. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. And in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders to teach in the cities of Judah, and with them Levites, and with them priests. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. So he institutes righteousness and he enforces righteousness. And he institutes a program of Bible study to educate the people. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And there it is illustrated in this righteous king, how different he is from all the others, except for that one problem, he's attracted to bad boys. Influence is critical. You, you know, there's a saying, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If, you let, if you're dumb enough to let the devil pick your friends, then you're going to suffer consequences that you cannot reverse, more than likely. Earlier, well, this visit is diplomatic. This good king visiting Ahab, you've got to say, didn't, doesn't he know what Ahab was doing to the prophets of God? Does he know what's going on up there with Jezebel? Well, that becomes a big question because his visit to the northern kingdom, the motive was diplomacy. Earlier, he gave his son, Jehoram, to marry Athaliah, the daughter, presumably, of Ahab and Jezebel. Certainly Ahab's daughter, but presumably. And she's just as bad as Jezebel. Uh, so you had the, the nation of Israel. Solomon dies. Rehoboam goofs up. The nation splits. You have the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. In the northern kingdom, Jezebel ends up being the wicked witch of the north. When her daughter marries into the south, she becomes the wicked witch of the south. So Satan's got coverage. He's manning the job. Second Chronicles 18, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. And by marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. That's what we're reading about here in chapter 22. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. And we'll get to that. So this is a big feast. This is a big, big event. After all, they're in-laws now. Verse 3. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So there it is. He told me he was going to give me Ramoth, Gilead, and the other cities, and he hasn't, and it's bugging me. But we can't just take it like we want to. So there was physical peace between Israel and Syria, but not peace of mind. There's no visible threat, except he's not making good on his promise. And it vexed Ahab that this territory remained outside of his rule. I mean, he even spared Ben-Hadad's life. You think, you think the least he could do was give back a city that he stole in the first place. Now, where he says, but we hesitate, the Hebrew is sort of uh, anomanopia. It's a, we... we, we um, it's it's a um, we would they I, I, I don't I'm lost for the word except to say uh, hushed that's the word I wanted they're hushed for it so he's saying we we want to take it and he's but we're, we're hushed 
was shut down. And so he says to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria, uh, it's a big problem. He's manipulating Jehoshaphat. He's appealing to his sense of, you know, I'm your brother. I'll help you out with this. We're family now. And Jehoshaphat, you know, he's just naive. He's a good guy, but he's just naive and makes these bad decisions when, when these bad boys come up with a good idea. Bad boys coming up with good idea. Well, they ain't really any good idea. He's going to lose, almost lose his life on this one. He's going to lose money on one of the others and almost loses his life again on a similar uh, campaign with another dingbat king. Verse 4, so he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me and fight Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So he, he says, you know, hinting is not working with this guy. So I'm going to just come out and say, hey, how about you just come? Jehoshaphat has this enormous army. He's got a million-man army, and Ahab knows that. And that the alliance would be, you know, Syria won't be able to stand against the two. At least that's how he's thinking. And so, again, he didn't volunteer. I'll have to ask him. Uh, you know, this dramatic speech, it was unnecessary by Jehoshaphat. I am as you are, my people as your people. My well, they were all Jewish people, granted. But one was in, one kingdom had become uh, totally apostate, and the other was struggling not to become apostate. Verse 5, also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for me the word of Yahweh today. So there's the righteous thing. And, you know, he's born again in the Old Testament version. You know, he, his righteousness in his heart. And, he, you know, he just, I, I need to find out what God wants is Jehoshaphat. Now, they have two different gods. Ahab serves, of course, Baal and whoever else was convenient for him, but not Jehovah, whereas Jehoshaphat does. He's God-centered king. Even though he has this, his judgment is muddled by his emotional attraction to things not detailed for us. So he wants to know what God has to say. Now, Ahab, he could care less what God has to say. Uh, fact, he couldn't care less. He had already been at the bottom. There are some people that they'll ask what the Bible says. They'll ask the pastor, well, what does the Bible say? And really, they don't want the truth. They, they want the blessing. And after a while, they learn just not to ask because they don't want the truth. And so they will skip that step. Um, the, the life is hard for everybody, Christian and non-Christian. Again, the flair for understatement of Jesus Christ, it rains on the just and the unjust. It's raining anvils sometimes. I mean, he leaves that part out. <laughs> well, he doesn't because he has made it clear this life is cursed, and it is up to us to swing our way through it to get to the next life where there is no curse. And we who believe, believe it is worth it, and that is where we get our word worship from. God is worth it. Verse 6, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up for... Adonai, the Lord, will deliver it into the hand of the king. Well, we're seeing here that the majority is not automatically right. These 400 men 
uh, likely is associated with Jezebel, certainly with Ahab, are false prophets. And they think they can forge the name, the covenant name of Yahweh into their prophecies. Um, but uh, they, again, they are false. And uh, using the generic term for Lord, they're not using the covenant term yet when they said the Lord will deliver it. And they're going to be wrong, of course, because they're just under the influence, that critical influence in the spiritual part of us. It is either under the Lord God Almighty or something else from hell. Verse 7, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of Yahweh here that we may inquire of him? See, he, can't, he knows these guys are frauds. He's tolerating it because... You know, he's just such a nice guy. He can't say to Ahab, why did I even come up here? Why did I give my son to your, your wicked witch, Athaliah? Uh, you know, he doesn't go that way. And that's what I want from him. And, and I'm sure you've got things like you want from me. Uh, we all have that to some degree at some point. I should take back some of that. Anyhow. <laughs> uh, so he knows better. He's not going to accept these imitation prophets and their counterfeit religion. But he's not going to learn his lesson. Later we will find him reciting these very same words to another king. Second Kings chapter 3 verse 11. We'll just take that part. Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Yeah, this was at a time where these three kings were dying of thirst. And when Elisha gets there, he's irritated. He said, Look, I, I need some music. Just bring me him seriously. I need a musician. He's got to calm down. He's so you know, over the top with this dumb kings going out to war without water. And uh, the righteous, and he says, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat, you'd all be dead. So, uh, anyway, so you meet Christians, they love the Lord, but they just make dumb decisions repeatedly. And we are, uh, you are, to be patient with them. <laughs> All right, verse 8. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man. Now you can hear, he, he hates, he hates Micaiah, Micaiah the prophet. And so Ahab is speaking, and you can hear it in the sea, there's one man. I hate this guy. He's going to say that. So the king, verse 8, so the king said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man. That's right. There is still one man. And this one man stands up against evil. Anyway, that's not how he means it. Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of Yahweh. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. See, again, Jehoshaphat, he's such a good boy. Instead of saying... Look, you better shut your mouth before I do it for you. Or something like that. No, no. He's like, you know, don't say such things. You know, it's not nice. He's probably got a little hand puppet with him that he keeps. <laughs> a little teddy bear. Anyway, I still like him. I mean, he just he's an he's a adorable guy. Well, there's just still one man that won't go away. Maybe you are that one Christian in the workplace or school or family or wherever you are. You're just that one person person that won't play by the world's rules because Christ is your ruler. You are a Micaiah. He says, I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Yeah, because you do evil. What is with 
crooks. I mean, they don't like it. Was, liars hate to be lied to. You might notice that. And they also hate to be caught lying. So they lie about being. It's just, what is wrong with some people? Well, it's that critical influence. Satanic influence doesn't have to be dramatic and just be ruinous. Ahab's idea of God's word was that it was a hindrance to achieving what he wanted in life. Micaiah didn't share that view. And to Ahab, uh, eternal truth didn't matter. What mattered is what you could get hold of in this life. That was the spirit of Esau. Esau, you know, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Esau was a man of the earth. And uh, Ahab, of course, is even is far worse. And he did not think that wickedness should be called out, especially his wickedness should not be addressed. And this is the height of madness, and we see it paraded before us today through, through the ages. Uh, he had a fear of, of, of the truth because it was against him. And Jehoshaphat said, verse 8, let not the king say such things. It's a weak protest. And uh, this from a man whose heart still delights in the Lord and sent out the Bible teachers throughout, throughout the land of Judah. Verse 9, Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring me Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. <laughs> he's, he's impatient. He wants to get past this. It, it, to him, it's a formality. They're going to war. Yeah, and Jehoshaphat's already been manipulated. And so he's just got to still see the face of this prophet. He's just irritated. And so uh, this interruption, he's, he moves on. Verse 10, Then the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each one on his throne at the thrashing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the people prophesied before them. Well, they're singing songs and they're entertaining them with this religious junk. And, and Jehoshaphat is, is, you know, he's sitting through this stuff, saying, well, I don't believe it, but it's very interesting. I, I mean, I, I get thinking this. It's a, por- it's a portrait of evil and naivete here at the same time. Evil, here's, here's evil Ahab in his long robe, his kingly attire, and, and Jehoshaphat is matching. He's got one, too, and, and he's just naive. Now, these threshing floors, there weren't many places that could accommodate. you got 400 prophets here, plus all the, the king's court and the other people. This is a large crowd. And the thrashing floors would accommodate that. They were seasonal. You wouldn't be thrashing wheat only in the wheat season or, or barley. So this made a nice uh, place for everybody to gather. And um, there are the, the two bumps on a log. Ahab and Jehoshaphat, they should not be together. This is not an even yoke. Verse 11. Then, now Zedekiah, the son of Kenana, uh, Kenana, that's it, Kenana. He was from Samoa. No, he wasn't, but his name sounds like it. <laughs> anyway, um, he made horns of iron for himself, and he said, thus says Yahweh, with these horns, Horns, you shall gore the Assyrians until they are destroyed. I don't know what Jehoshaphat is saying. Ahab is enjoying this. But here is this Zedekiah. He's the leader of the pack of these false prophets. And he grabs some iron and he holds them up like horns because, after all, the gods were strong as bulls and they could just push and gore. 
anybody in their way. Uh, it's dramatic, and it's false. Today, they, what they do is they get an artist to make a really nice cover to their book. And Christians look at that cover, or they read the title, Experiencing God. Well, I've got a book like that, and there's no artwork on the cover. And it's, it's got everything I need in it. That doesn't mean I can't read other books, but it does mean I'm not going to read other books that are contradicting this book. So uh, they still get their iron horns out and tell you what God is going to do, and it's, it's forgery, signing his name to documents that he did not author. Well, uh, Jehoshaphat dismisses this. Zedekiah forges the name of Yahweh, and Ahab is just, again, in a hurry to get going with the war. Verse 12, And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for Yahweh will deliver it into your hand. These are worshipers of Baal, but they think that, you know, gods are interchangeable. I mean, you know, we got the same contact into the spiritual world. Uh, you know, look at Jesus, Buddha, what's the difference? You're going to find out. Uh, that last, after that last breath you take, you're going to find out the difference, and it's going to be too late. Well, to make a difference, right? Verse 12, and all the prophets, oh, I, I read that. I don't have anything else to say about that verse. Verse 13, then the messengers who had gone up to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, now listen. The words of the prophets, with one accord, encourage the king. Please, let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. This is why you will never see me at a city or a county ribbon-cutting ceremony. I just, you know, Pastor Rick, could you come up and share some words for everybody? Yes, I can. But you won't ask me again after this one. <laughs> this is, this, you know... They're telling him, they're writing to him, look, don't offend the king with truth. Whatever you do, lie to him. It's, that's not an offense to this guy. Telling the truth is what offends him. People tell this to churches to this day. Whatever you do, don't tell it like it is. Go with the flow. Don't go with God. But not the God of the Bible. Some believe that peace is superior to truth. And God says, no, there is no peace without the truth. James 3.17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. That is the order that it goes in. Now, we have to endure a lot to get these things worked out. They're not always instant. There's often a process. Even Jesus endured so many things that um, if he didn't, he just would have wiped everyone out uh, on the bottom line. Anyway, Micaiah the prophet, when he hears... The, the, told, listen, don't, don't rock the boat. You know you got a history with the king, and it ain't good. Don't rock the boat. Micaiah is unimpressed. The wicked do not impress him. He does not like, wow, if I could be like one of you guys, or I could see the logic behind this. He's not like that at all. In fact, he's going to get his sarcasm going, verse 14. And Micaiah said, when he finally gets there now, as the Lord, well, he's not there yet. He's telling the deputy who's come to fetch him as Yahweh lives verse 14 whatever Yahweh says to me that I will speak he's already telling the truth it makes us remind uh, mindful of Acts 429 now look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word 
Well, there it is illustrated in the Old Testament, almost a thousand years before the apostles spoke it there in Jerusalem. Verse 15, Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And how do you like my robe? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for Yahweh will deliver it into the hand of the king. Verse 16, so the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? <laughs> I love it. Because, oh no, sure, go, king. There had to be something, either some dramatic rolling of the eyes or some monotone, something triggered Ahab to know that Micaiah is patronizing him. <laughs> it's just, you know, not, not, that's not the right word. Condescending is not the right word. Uh, just uh, giving him what he wants. Sarcasm. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how it is, but Ahab knew he was being mocked. He knew this was not the message from Yahweh. And so, again, verse 16, so the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? He could say, well, because you're going to smack me if I tell you the truth or hurt me. But he doesn't do that, Micaiah. He doesn't care. He'll take the hits, and he's going to take a hit. Uh, I think they had a, a history, these two, of Micaiah being sarcastic to the king, and he's picking that up. Verse 17, then he said, and now, now Micaiah is going to give the prophecy. Then he said, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. In other words, the king's going to die. <clears throat> the shepherd is metaphorically uh, referred to as the king. And so here, truth is pro proclaimed. The standard of righteousness is, is maintained. And censorship is ignored. He moves forward. Um, this leaderless flock will be the army of Israel in full retreat because the king will be dead. In verse 18, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, <laughs> yes, there's nobody else, he, he can't look into the camera. Um, he turns to Jehoshaphat, the righteous king. Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? It's almost comical, these two. I, I told you he'd do it. Well, because you're evil. It's, it's like, you know, you've got Dracula, you know, complaining about people, complaining about him biting them. So, anyway, he says this as though this vindicates him. See, I'm innocent. I told you he was going to say something bad, and you know it can't be true. And this is why I didn't want him here in the first place. <laughs> this, is, this is just funny um, on that, that level. What's not funny is the real damage he was doing to lives. Uh, so he knew the prophet would, would not fall in line with everybody else. Remember, this is the same king that had no problem calling Elijah the troublemaker when it was him. The spin. Uh, I wonder, you know, I wonder if some people... Jeremiah said, can a leopard change its spots? I mean, is, is, are there, is there such a thing where it's fixed and it ain't changing? Changing. Well, of course, we know God can do everything, but the, there's a fact that remains that it has to be God. There are difficult things. 
And it is wise to keep that in mind. Otherwise, you you begin approaching life with demands on God. Well, I knew God was going to just raise him up from the dead. I knew God was going to do this. You know, you, you know you, how did you know that? Did God tell you that? And if you were wrong one time, why do you keep doing it at other times? So we have to be uh, wise and understand that we're not uh, spectators to the world. We are participants. We're not an exception and as to the hardship that befalls us. Um, we, do, we are spared some things, but sometimes we're not. And that m- means we must always work to be wise. Well, I think you all know that, but it's good to hear it anyway. Because we all know Christians who think that thinking is not necessary. They just have to feel it in the spirit. Verse 19, Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. Now, this is a parable because God does not need to say, hey, I got to figure out a way to trip up Ahab. So this is parabolic. And I think if you begin to take this, and so back to this emotional approach to, to the scripture, if you take this literally, you, you create other theological problems. If you take it as a parable, it fits very smoothly, and that's what he's doing. He's illustrating his point. He says, okay, I'll tell you what. Let me give you a story. This will sit with everybody. Uh, however, in Job, it's a literal event. We have no reason to doubt that, the, that the Satan came before the Lord, and God says, where you been? And he says, oh, going to and fro, looking to what I can get into. And God says, of course, did you consider my servant Job? He eschews evil. He's righteous above all. Uh, a pretty powerful boast uh, that he put on Job. Anyway, here it is parabolic. Again, God needs no advice. He is making his point. Verse 20. And so he says, let's go back to verse 19 briefly. Therefore, hear the word of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. So this is God, uh, the prophet, illustrating God's will through this parable. And Yahweh said, verse 20, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Verse 21, Then a spirit came forward and stood before Yahweh and said, I will persuade him. Verse 22, Yahweh said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. Pause there. That is true. That's what he's illustrating. That a deceiving spirit, a critical influence from hell in Ahab's case, has entered the mouths of these false prophets to the delight of Ahab. Because he's the same way. Anyway, continuing in verse 22. And Yahweh said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Now, if you insist that, no, this is a, he actually saw this in heaven. Well, it's not a, I'm not going to debate that. No, it's not a critical point. But uh, again, if, if you, I see this as if you see it as a literal event taking place in heaven, trying to figure out how to take down Ahab, you've got problems. But it, um, again, is parabolic. That um, is very appealing. Jesus used parables all the time. They hit the mark and they stayed with you. Uh, One that stays with me is, you know, cut the tree down. 
No, let's give it three years. I'll fertilize I mean, wait, a year. I'll give it a year. I'll fertilize it, and let's give it. I mean, that just sticks with me. I can see the two men interacting this way, and I can see how it applies to my life and others too. Be patient. Give it a little bit more attention. Maybe it will respond. But don't just react and, and just hack it away. So, coming back to verse 22 now. Um, I don't, I think, uh, well, I do want to add this. The, of course, the prophet is illustrating the, the sinking sand. Ahab has got his foundation on sinking sand. Proverbs, uh, Psalm 18. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. And this is what we have taking place in this parable. The same lying spirit that is lying to those prophets, that is lying to Ahab, is the same lying spirit world that motivated Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus Christ. And it is the same lying spirit that is telling heads of state, you can invade them. You can do this, and you can do that, and you can write this law, and you can, and Satan is the enemy. When we say Satan, we don't always mean Lucifer himself. We mean that underworld that is opposed to God, very very active, and uh, we, we see the fruits. God could have just sent a lightning bolt and done in Ahab, and that would have been the end of it. But the parabolic illustration teaches so much more to those who will listen. Verse 23. Therefore, look, Yahweh has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and Yahweh has declared disaster against you. And so, he he, he is, in case you're hard of hearing, (laughs) in case you're not the the sharpest knife in the drawer, let me tell you what the parable means. And he, that's what verse 23 is. Paul said it this way, For this reason God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie. Because that's what they wanted. And God will, just as we read from the psalm, with the pure you will show yourself pure, and with the devious you will show yourself shrewd. God will outdo them. Verse 24, Now Zedekiah the son of Kanaanah, I'm not reading that name again, well, because we don't come to it. But anyway, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit of Yahweh go from me to speak to you? So the wise guy in the crowd is quick to violence. He's got the army on his side, takes advantage of the, the prophet that's just been invited to tell, give his side. And he, he gives his side and he is hit for this. She, they strike him. Um, this... Um, he didn't use the iron horns to dramatize his. He used the parable, you know, which I think is far better. Um, anyway, he says, how, how dare you publicly disagree with my religion? Because this is the leader of the pack, Zedekiah. He's the leader of the false prophets. And he has been publicly um, challenged, and he's not having it. Verse 25, and Micaiah said... Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. <laughs> so, so Micaiah says, you're going to go screaming and hiding everywhere. You won't be very manly when this prophecy comes true. You won't be looking to strike anybody else on that day. 
And, and that's so he, he calls him out and he's saying, you're going to have a cowardly response to the prophecy that I'm giving you because you're going to be afraid of what the Assyrian troops might do to you if they catch you and the people when they find out you're a false prophet. I like to see the look on his face. Um, verse 26, so the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and Joash, the king's son. So he says, arrest him and have my son, the prince, make sure that my instructions are followed, that the prophet is locked up. So it was a crime to tell the truth when asked. It was a crime to give your opinion. Verse 27, and say, thus says the king, put his, this fellow in the prison and feed him the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. So he's saying, make him miserable. Give him stale bread and dirty water uh, until I come back. So he, he really, he hates the prophet. The prophet's never done anything wrong to him. But uh, that's not enough for evil. Evil will bother us. You do not have to provoke evil. It is provoked by nature, by definition. Verse 28, and Micah said, If you ever return in peace, <laughs> Yahweh has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. So I love this guy. This is the one man standing up with truth. And he says, yeah, you ain't coming back. <laughs> the, the prophecy is true. You, this is it for you. He's got the guts to have, the, he gets the last word in. And then he tells the audience, you better watch out. That's what that means. Um, if I'm a man of God, you're in big trouble if you stay against my God. Well, uh, the ever active disdain of Satan. Uh, Satan is the way to the lie and to the doom, not to heaven. But people want to dismiss, he dismiss him. They even dress, dress up with little horns on their head and pitchforks because they think he's a big joke. Satan is never joking. Never. He is evil. And <clears throat> he wants people to think he's joking. He's the kind of guy that you want. I'll tell you a funny joke as he's hacking off your leg. Well, <clears throat> Revelation twenty two eleven, there at the end, almost at the end of the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it ends with this warning that wicked people retain their wicked nature. That's why there's no more chances. This is where it is settled. Revelation twenty two eleven. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. In other words, there's sarcasm in that. One way to look at it, God is saying, fine. You want to be dumb? Be dumb. You want to be a fool? Be a fool. You want to be righteous? Be righteous. And then he's also saying in that section is that when you die, the unjust will be unjust still. There's no change into the Christ-like character that the Christian will enjoy. That predestination... <clears throat> predestination doesn't mean we were forced on the flight to go to that destination. Predestination is we responded to the invitation to get on the flight that is predestined to go to heaven. And I do resent otherwise very intelligent men. They could probably beat me in a spelling bee, but I think they get it wrong when they define biblical the biblical word and meaning for predestination. It does not mean pre-caused. It does not mean you were forced to go to a destination, and others were forced not to go to that destination. Um, and this is God's doing. 
That, in short, is Calvinism. And they'll use volumes of books to tell you why they don't want you to know that that's Calvinism. And I do. I, I resent it because, you know, there's a danger. If you're not careful, if you respect too much a person's intellect, you may begin to fall for some of their errors until the point it gets to the point where you can't see them anymore. And then it's just a big back-slapping committee, everybody patting each other on the back, saying the wrong thing. Anyway, all we like sheep go astray, each to his own way, and so we are careful to minimize that from happening in our lives. Verse 29, So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. Um, so they're going up, unmoved by the consequences of the prophecy. And this is the beginning of the end of Ahab's life. And the first of three really dumb moves on Jehoshaphat. I mean, you know, if you, if you could make it humorous, you, you'd want to meet Jehoshaphat in heaven and just say, come on, tell me. I won't tell anybody. What were you thinking three times? Tell me, what were you thinking? That whole investment with the ships down in uh, the Red Sea, that was a disaster. You almost died of thirst in the desert. That's no way for a king to die. And then this time here where, hey, put my uniform on or, you know, well, put this bullseye on and I'll put the camouflage on. Okay, so let's come to that. Verse 30, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. There's your camouflage. And although it looks something like a camel. But you put on your robes. You mean the ones we just had on the threshing floor? <laughs> so the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. And so he's charging. He's one of the troops. And there is the only guy out of all the troops on Israel's side that's standing out like a sore thumb with a giant shoot me sign on him. <sighs> And he's a good king. <laughs> and what would his father say? The boy is dumb as dirt. You know, it's just something like that. And I, I don't know, when you read this in the Bible, there's a comical to you. And it is to me. Anyway, um, I, think, I think later on he said to his wife, I could kick myself. I couldn't believe I did that. And then the second time, I did something again. <laughs> what did you do? I went to the desert with no water and a bunch of people. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, anyway, um, God had already in place a plan to shield his king. Uh, Ahab is not going to enjoy that shield. Verse 31. Now, the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, Fight with no one small or great but only with the king of Israel, verse 32. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they turned aside to fight against him and Jehoshaphat cried out. Verse 33, and it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. <laughs> so, um, you know, what would you expect, uh, Jehoshaphat? Well, did, 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 uh, can you be that dumb and still be a king? Yes, you could still be a good king. If um, I think he called on the name of Yahweh, and that's what signaled to everybody, he's not the king of, of uh, Israel because Ahab would never call on Yahweh, maybe. I get it from this. 
Second Chronicles 18, covering the same story. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, if it, it is the king of Israel, therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and Yahweh helped him, and God diverted them from him. Well, what did he cry out? Well, we're not told. More than likely, any sane believer would cry out, Yahweh, help! And uh, maybe that they said, oh, this can't be the king of the north. I don't know. But that is how I'm preaching it. Verse 34, now a certain man drew a bow at random. It doesn't mean he was an artist and he had an easel with a canvas. <laughs> He's just going to draw a bow at random. A certain man drew a bow at random, and hopefully you'll never see that verse again the same way, and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, I'm wounded. So uh, at a venture, the, like somebody just on the Assyrian side just says, I'm just going to fire one up in the air, and he fires this arrow. And of course the angels directed right between the armor, and it, it, it's a critical hit. It's a fatal wound. Um, his own wickedness forfeited for him the benefits of Psalm 91. You shall not be afraid of terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Well, Jehoshaphat is a benefiting from that in this particular episode of life. Not Ahab. God withheld uh, the protection. Verse 35 the battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Assyrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot, verse 36. Then, as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, Every man to his tent and every man to his own country. So, uh, <laughs> poor, the guy is bleeding out, and they're propping him up to keep the troops fighting. As if they see their leader at the top of the hill there, they'll, they'll keep going. But uh, it, it doesn't, it, it fails. Now they are sheep without a shepherd, and that's why they all go back to <clears throat> their own home. Um, not, no, with no shepherd, uh, not much to applaud about a church that has no shepherd. Um, hopefully churches will put in place um, safety measures to take care of that. If the pastor gets raptured, somebody needs to. <laughs> Actually, it's not very funny, right? Anyway, but it is kind of funny. All right, verse 37. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the, while the harlots bathed according to the word of Yahweh, which was spoken. Well, Elijah delivered that back in chapter 21. And so Elijah announced the sentence for killing Naboth, and Micaiah announces the execution of the sentence, which takes place now, while the harlots bathe. What a, what a picture. It's a commentary. Now, some, some will try to say, well, really the word for harlot is armor because it's a similar phonetic sound to it in in the English, at least. at least, um, But I don't buy that because you can wash armor anywhere. You don't need to have a particular... But the, the harlots wouldn't need a, a larger body of water, and I think it's a perfect fit. 
And I think that it is a commentary on the life. The, the man was unfaithful to God because he was unfaithful to truth. Verse 39, now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he had built and all the cities that he, had, that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab, verse 40, rested with his fathers. Then Azar, um, Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Uh, Ahaziah is going to be killed later, but why spoil the plot? So he lived in this ivory-paneled house, high on the hog. <clears throat> uh, the archaeologists have, un, have dug up some area and found all this ivory, these ivory carvings all over the place. And, you know, they would carve out these things and then inlay it into the wood, and it would be like, you know, these framed pictures made out of ivory. Uh, only the rich could really afford that. Verse 41 Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, became king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. So now, as is not uncommon with the writers in the Bible, they go back and fill in the blanks, which leaves us oftentimes confused, and we have to dig and find out, why is he saying that now? Well, he wants his audience to be more informed about King Jehoshaphat, verse 42. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shehai. Uh, that's a masculine name. That's his uh, grandfather, verse 43. And he walked in the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of Yahweh. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Well, the ever-present resistance of leaven, once it gets in, is just very hard to get out, and that's why the historians are telling it, pointing that truth out. Uh, Asa was a good king, kind of messed up towards the end, but did not go into idolatry. Verse 44, also Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Uh, that would be Ahab. Uh, he's again reviewing the information. He did this through that marriage of his son to uh, Ahab's daughter. Verse 45, now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed, and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So what stands out to me is that the might that he showed. Now, the, the problem is, of course, it becomes rhetoric when we, when we make it physical and carnal, but it's very spiritual when we keep it spiritual and have a spiritual might, and that's the harder one to get. Um, I go through the valley of the shadow of temptation every time I get behind my, the wheel, uh, every time I drive. It's just like, oh, man, here we go. I mean, I, I don't have to do anything. I can just sit there. It's inside here. Like that person. I don't like that person. And all right, no more talking about driving. You know, someone felt sorry for me once and bought me a brand-new truck. I've got it in the box in my office if any of you want to see it. Anyway, uh, the might that he lacked, uh, that he showed. Imagine if it said the might that he lacked. I don't want it to be said that way about me. He improved Judah, and he fought off the enemies. So he, he achieved a lot as a king. And uh, this life that we live, this cursed life under the curse since Eden, becomes very confusing to the Christian 
when we forget that it's a battleground, not a playground, and um, that there are no spectators. When we think we are exceptions, then we question why we suffer. And um, we suffer because of sin. Uh, Christians die because of sin. And um, God says to his beloved children, my reward is with me. And there are times that I think about that verse, and I say, but I want my reward right now. And I know I, I submit. I have to wait. That's what makes him Lord. I submit and don't push back. Verse 46, And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. So he got rid of these. These were sexually perverted people, and they were sexually perverted in the name of religion. Uh, religious people who incorporated perverse sexual perversity and pleasure uh, <clears throat> choosing the low road of worship that comes with idolatry. Verse 47, there was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Verse 48, Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. That would be the, if you're looking at the Red Sea on a map, looks like rabbit ears, the rabbit ear on the right, that's where uh, Ebion Gezer is. It is there to this day. The, the, the Jews... Um, Use it as a resort, uh, the Red Sea there. Anyway, verse, um, <clears throat> this, um, he is referring, this is, well, let's take it to tell us. Verse 49, then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships, but Jehoshaphat would not. So these two entered into a business uh, arrangement in, in the on the seas to bring in imports and exports, take out exports. Uh, And it failed. The ships were destroyed, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 37. But Eliezer prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, Yahweh has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So this is actually the third bad decision, that he he aligns himself again with a wicked king. And God says, I'm not having this. You're a good boy, Jehoshaphat, but you're just pretty dumb. And he shuts down the ship, this uh, uh, joint venture. But the king of the north says, well, let's try it again. And Jehoshaphat says, no, I've got it. I'm I'm not doing that again. Verse 50, Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers, of course, a euphemism for death. And was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Verse 51, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria. In the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. Verse 52, he did evil in the sight of Yahweh, this is the northern king, and walked in the ways of his father, and in the way of his mother, that would be Jezebel, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. And we talked about that. Jeroboam would be the poster boy for failure of kings in, in the northern kingdom. And so throughout the kings, he's brought back up. Remember this guy? Don't forget him. He, he, he's a creep. Verse 53. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked Yahweh, God of Israel, to anger according to all that his father had done. So this child, uh, the apple didn't fall far from the tree in this case likely Jezebel's offspring 
Uh, but their fate is nearing, and it's going to not go well with them. And it ain't good with them right now. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for the privilege of looking at the word that you've preserved for us. Uh, Everything in this book is designed for us to get a better view of you and a better view of ourselves and to reconcile the difference according to your will. We ask that you get us all home safely this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.